Well, shall we turn to Isaiah chapter 17 this evening? Isaiah chapter 17 and a little bit into 18. The title of the sermon is this, Damascus and Israel Ruined. Damascus and Israel Ruined. I'm going to read the chapter as we continue in the book of Isaiah. It was interesting as we I've not planned this whatsoever, but this morning Paul was on, or Saul was on the way to uh, Damascus uh, to persecute Christians and Jesus met with him and he got converted. Uh, this is a different part of scripture. It's about 700 years before that uh, event. But we're going to hear about Damascus and Israel ruined. So let's hear from the word of God. Uh, Isaiah 17, it says, An oracle concerning Damascus. Behold, Damascus will cease to be a city and will become a heap of ruins the cities of Aror are deserted. They will be for flocks which will lie down and none will make them afraid. The fortress will disappear from Ephraim and the kingdom from Damascus and the remnant of Syria will be like the glory of the children of Israel, declares the Lord of hosts. And in that day, the glory of Jacob will be brought low and the fat of his flesh will grow lean and it shall be as when the reapers gather standing grain and his arm harvest the ears as when one gleans the ears of grain in the valley of Rephaim, gleanings will be left in it as when an olive tree is beaten, two or three berries in the top of the highest bough, four or five on the branches of a fruit tree declares the God of Israel. In that day, verse 7, uh, man will look to his maker and his eyes will look to the Holy One of Israel. He will not look to the altars, the work of his hands. He will not look on what his own fingers have made, either the asherim or the altars of incense. In that day, their strong cities will be like the deserted places of the wooded heights and the hilltops, which they deserted because of the children of Israel and there will be desolation. For you have forgotten the God of your salvation and have not remembered the rock of your refuge. Therefore, though you plant pleasant plants and sow the vine branch of a stranger, though you make them grow on the day that you plant them and make them blossom in the morning that you sow, Yet the harvest will flee away in a day of grief and incurable pain. Ah, the thunder of many peoples, the thunder like the thundering of the sea. Ah, the roar of nations, they roar like the roaring of mighty waters. The nations roar like the roaring of many waters, but he will rebuke them and they will flee far away. Chase like chaff on the mountains before the wind and whirling dust before the storm. At evening time, behold, terror. Before morning, they are no more. This is the portion of those who loot us and the lot of those who plunder us. Our land of whirring wings that is beyond the rivers of Cush, which sends ambassadors by the sea, in vessels of papyrus on the waters, 
Go, you swift messengers, to a nation tall and smooth, to a people feared near and far, a nation mighty and conquering, whose land the rivers divide. All you inhabitants of the world, you who dwell on the earth, when a signal is raised on the mountains, look, when a trumpet is blown, hear. For thus the Lord said to me, I will quietly look from my dwelling like clear heat in sunshine, like a cloud of dew in the heat of harvest. For before the harvest, when the blossom is over and the flower becomes a ripening grape, he cuts off the shoots with pruning hooks and the spreading branches he lops off and clears away. They shall all of them be left to the birds of prey of the mountains and to the beasts of the earth and the birds of prey will summer on them and all the beasts of the earth will winter on them. At that time, tribute will be brought to the Lord of hosts from a people tall and smooth, from a people feared near and far, a nation mighty and conquering whose land the rivers divide to Mount Zion, the place of the name of the Lord of hosts. The title of the sermon tonight is, is Damascus and Israel Ruined, but I've got two headings for us this evening. Heading number one is Damascus and Israel Ruined, but the weight of this sermon actually is in the second heading, and it's this, Hallowed Be Your Name, because chapter 17 and 18 teaches that Damascus, the nearby nation, of a capital of city of uh, a capital of Syria, and it mentions Ephraim, which is Israel, the northern tribes. Both of them will be judged, and both will be ruined. But what's the main learning point from chapter 17 and chapter 18? It's the revelation of five wonderful names of who our God is. I almost call this sermon "Hallowed Be Your Name," but I didn't because I thought we're in Isaiah. And the theme in this book of judgment, and here is another oracle as it begins 17 verse 1, an oracle concerning Damascus. And whenever you find the word oracle, and other, tra other Bible translations call it burden, our ears should prick up because judgment's going to be there. But rarely is there judgment without there also being mercy as well. So let's get straight into this sermon this evening with the first heading, Damascus and Israel ruined, ruined. Notice in 17 verse 1, behold, Damascus will cease to be a city. And it says the cities of Aurora, verse 2, are deserted. But notice in verse 3, the fortress will disappear from Ephraim, Ephraim. In other words, Ephraim is a representative for the northern tribes. And both of them are going to be ruined. Why? They come into a, an unholy alliance, these two nations, uh, Damascus and Syria and Ephraim, the northern kingdom. And it's an oracle, but it actually speaks to about both of these two nations. And it was Assyria that came against them, the Assyrians. So you're saying, well, it says, behold, Damascus will cease to be a city. Well, hang on, 700 years later, Saul went there and got converted there, but it's saying the Assyrians will come and it will be the downfall at that time of the power of Damascus. 
But guess who's swept into this? By their own fault, verse 3, the fortress will disappear from Ephraim. The northern tribes will also be judged. They were generally at that time, the northern tribes, we often would call them, well, the northern tribes, and then you got the southern tribe mainly of Judah. And what we learn here about these uh, two peoples being judged is, is how the judgment falls upon the people of God. And why? Well, they, they entered into an unholy alliance. And the sad thing is, is that the people of God were probably, at times, more devoted to idolatry than the nations of the world. And you remember there was the southern kingdoms and the northern kingdoms, and the, and the northern kingdoms split off. And they began with the foundation of idolatry. Their, their king actually gave them a golden calves and said, Come and worship Yahweh who delivered you from Egypt. Okay, we don't need to go to Jerusalem. We can worship right here. And they would bring offerings and all sorts of things. And, and it just began with idolatry from the very beginning. And so there was an unholy alliance, a little bit like the Bible says, that Christians should not marry non-Christians. We are to marry in the faith. But here we see regarding, regarding Israel, the fortress, verse 3, will disappear from Ephraim and the kingdom from Damascus, and the remnant of Syria will be like the glory of the children of Israel, declares the Lord of hosts. So there'll be a remnant, but it'll be stripped away. There's going to be a time in 17 verse 3, there's going to be a time of sifting, of sifting. It says in verse 5, And it shall be as when the reaper gathers standing grain, and his arm harvests the ears, as when one gleans the ears of grain in the valley of Rephaim, gleanings will be left in it. What will the judgment do? It has a purpose. It's not just judgment for the sake of it. And again, we're not a farming folk, but if you imagine uh, the ears of corn, and what you do in those days, you would, you would put them on a, uh, a sieve, and you would throw them up in the air, and the wind would blow, and then it would come back down here, and some of the chaff would leave, and you'd throw them up again, and then the chaff would leave. And so what the Lord is saying, that these judgments are going to be a time of sifting and testing. A time of sifting and testing. And wouldn't you say, isn't this contemporary? Wouldn't you say the last 18 months have been a time of sifting and testing for all of us, not just us here, and not just the church in this nation, but are, are around all over the place? And so God's judgment brings this sifting, this testing. And so um, in 17 verse 6, it says, Gleanings will be left in it as when an olive tree is beaten, true or three berries in the top of the highest bough, four or five branches of a fruit tree declares the Lord God of Israel. So this sifting is by the hand of God. It's not the devil, it's the hand of God. And God says, declares the Lord God of Israel. Uh, there's a, a man we know, and he, he's a street preacher at times, and he likes to put this sign up outside when he's preaching, which I'm not sure people always get, but I like it myself. And it's this, atheism is a temporary condition. Atheism is a temporary condition. Because we live in a nation today that prides itself. You don't believe in God, Joel. You don't believe in God, Sherry. This is the 21st century. And atheism is a temporary condition because the day will come 
when every one of us, when we die, we will face God. And God will either be our Savior or He will be our judge who will cast us into everlasting fire. Well, that's just the first heading, and we're going to move now to the second heading. We now settle that, that Damascus and, and, and Ephraim, Israel, the northern tribes, are going to be, have a downfall together. But our second heading is, Hallowed be your name, which you remember from the Lord's Prayer. And in the midst of this judgment and these chapters, we get five beautiful names. And for children that are taking notes, let's see if you can not only take notes of these five names, but let's see if you can remember them during this week. And the first one is in chapter 17 and verse 7. It says, the first name of God that's revealed, and we're going to see why there's a purpose. This name of God is revealed and why it's revealed probably first. In that day, man will look to his maker and his eyes will look on the Holy One of Israel. The first name of God here that God now brings in this uh, oracle is that the Lord is uh, the maker, our maker. Now, what does it mean by the Lord is our maker? And it's translated deliberately maker because we think of God now as God being uh, our creator. He's not only the creator of Christians and of people in the church, but of every single human being. And the problem was that we see in this prophecy that part of the reason of the judgment is that people forgot that the Lord, the covenant Lord, is our maker. Now, the truth that God is our maker, which is creator, but specifically maker, is found three times in the book of Isaiah. And why is that, do we think? Because when people lose sight that the Lord, not simply God in a general sense, but the Lord of the Bible is our maker, if you lose sight of that, people will slide and turn into idolatry and they will make idols for themselves, which is what we find in Isaiah. We find times when the Lord says, why, why have you made these idols yourself? Because people forget that the Lord is our maker and therefore they make idols themselves. But the Lord is saying that he is our maker. And therefore, to forget this is disastrous for any people anywhere in any generation, including not only in the world out there, but also in the church. This is a truth that's always under attack. I heard a terrible statistic. If is it a statistic? Only just, I don't know, in the last few years, not many years, last few years, and I was told of a certain evangelical conference in England that happens and this man said to me, and I don't know how true it was, but he said, Kevin, I do not think that 50% of those evangelical ministers today believe in a literal Adam. That is disastrous. Disastrous. So what happens when people turn away uh, from believing in the plain teaching of Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3? Again, a bit like the judgment that happens here, it sounds contemporary, doesn't it? When people forget that, is that they, they're sliding into idolatry. The first error of, of, of turning our back away that the Lord is our maker is to deny the time frame of which God created everything. God not only created the heavens and the earth, but he created the days 
through which he would create everything. And he created everything in six literal days. And this is not an allegory. It's not like a, not like a children's story. It is what the Word of God teaches us. What's the second error? Once you begin to lose a grip on that, ideas such as theistic evolution come in, which is actually, it's actually a contradiction. There can't be such a thing as theistic evolution, God winding up everything and then letting it evolve. The Bible knows nothing of evolution. It says here the judgment came because they turned their back and they forgot that the Lord is our maker. I've already mentioned the third error that will then begin to creep in is that people will begin to deny a historical Adam. You know, if you don't believe in, in, in the God creating in, in six days everything, well, maybe Adam's just a, a fictitious person as well. And so we have people who claim that and claim that there were all kinds of hominids on the earth before Adam came. You may not have come across this, but it's out there and it's common. And teaching that says God chose one of these subhuman species and tapped him on the shoulder, whichever shoulder it was, and called him to be Adam. But the only thing is we can say is that teaching is nonsense. There were no people before God created Adam. And then the fourth error that will begin to happen once we forget the Lord is our maker, they'll begin to become a lack of biblical clarity on, on all kinds of matters. And therefore, what will enter for the people of God will be two things, unbelief will enter and confusion. Because if you can't believe in such a basic truth that the Lord is our maker, can we really believe in anything? Furthermore, once we lose sight of the Lord being our maker, it's like a deck of cards. You ever seen these pictures of, you know, and these cards all fall down? What, what's the next thing that falls down, do you think? It's a biblical position of human sexuality. The Bible is so simple, it's so clear that God created uh, man, male and female. But today, I don't need to say much, but is there confusion today? Where does it come from? It's turning, people, people turning their back on the Lord being their maker. And we end up with such confusion today, we don't even know where to begin. Then what's another error that happens? Once you forget the Lord is our maker, that marriage and the whole idea of marriage between a man and a woman, that goes out the window. You can see how disastrous this is, and particularly for the people of God. The Methodist Church only announced in the last few weeks that they will now marry people of the same sex. Why? They've become just like the world. And we wonder, why is there judgment on the church? And we're not exempt from that. We can say, well, we, we don't hold to that. But the fact is, we're not an island in the church. We never will be an island. We're part of the body of Christ. And error number seven, unbelief will enter, rebellion will enter, and other sins. The, Jesus says this so wonderfully. He says that God feeds all of his birds. Therefore, I'm paraphrasing, trust me. Can you imagine if God gave you a project? So children are on school holidays. Imagine if your teacher set you a project and said, look, you've got six weeks off and I've got a little project for you. I want you and your mum and dad, I want you to manage the feeding of all the sparrows in within half a mile of your house. It's not a big job, just, just focus on that one. It'd be impossible, wouldn't it? It'd be literally impossible. And yet, 
The Bible teaches us that God feeds all of his birds. What do we do? The opposite of forgetting the Lord is our maker. What was the call to worship tonight? Our help is in the name of the Lord who made the heaven and the earth. We worship God tonight, our maker. He made us. The second name is also in verse 7. It's the Holy One of Israel. In that day, man will look to his maker and his eyes will look on the Holy One of Israel. He will not look on to the altars, the work of his hands. He will not look on what his own fingers have made, either the Asherim or the altars of incense. So the Lord is saying that you will be restored and you will look again. And the second name is the Holy One of Israel. Where do you think that that name becomes so important for Isaiah? He mentions this no less than 25 times in this book. In a sense, uh, he coined that phrase, Isaiah, but he didn't really. It came from a vision that God gave to him at the beginning of his ministry where he saw a vision of something of the holiness of God. And that's why this name, the Holy One, of Israel becomes so important for him. And in the book of Isaiah, way back at the beginning, he uses that and he says, Ah, Isaiah preachers, ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly, they have forsaken the Lord, they have despised the Holy One of Israel. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, preaching sermons every Sunday on the holiness of God and, and, and so forth, because it's about the knowledge of God's name that's important. It's not preaching on the holiness of God and then giving a, a list of legalistic rules. Thou shalt not go to the cinema. Thou shalt not, you know, drink. Thou shalt not do this. And, and that's happened sometimes in the church, the, the so-called temperance movement, adding to the Word of God. Our desire as Christians, is to grow in the knowledge of God, who God is. And so if we're going to grow in holiness, we also need a doctrine of what's known as divine chastening. And that's, ouch! We don't really want that. Can we, can we just uh, Google, you know, holiness of God and just download as much knowledge as possible? And the answer is yes, that may help in some measure, but listen to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 10, 11. It says, for they disciplined us for a short time. Is God disciplining the Old Testament church there? Absolutely. To teach them the holiness of God. Hebrews 12, for they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. He, that's the Lord our maker, our heavenly father, he disciplines us for our good. And then the writer of Hebrews tells us why that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So to really grow in the knowledge of the holiness of God, whose name is the Holy One of Israel, God will use divine chastening to teach us his holiness his holiness is not a list of legalistic rules it's god revealing it to us and we need a, a healthy and joyful doctrine of divine chastening 
both individually, but also corporately. Because God said here, uh, the judgment would come upon all those northern tribes. Well, let's move on to 17 verse 10. What can we glean there? Let's see, children, if you can think of the third name that we get here. It says, for you have forgotten. They've forgotten a lot. And here it says, for you have forgotten the God of your salvation and have not remembered the rock of your refuge. Therefore, though you plant pleasant plants and sow the vine branch of a stranger. What's the third name that we, we, we learn here that God is giving in this prophecy of judgment upon Damascus and Israel? It's this wonderful name. The God of your salvation. Can you say tonight, this God who's our maker, this God who's the Holy One of Israel, he's also the God of my salvation. The God of my salvation. And yet, sadly, the Lord says, for you have forgotten the God of your salvation. Not simply the name, but forgotten the God who is the God of the Bible. They've completely forgotten about him. Imagine, imagine forgetting about God, not just for a few weeks, but for months and years. Is there any wonder then that judgment came? Is there any wonder? And so we see this name of God. But we thank God that for us today, the church is made up of every tribe and tongue and uh, nations and peoples who are called to be salt and light wherever the church is found. Uh, in the old covenant there, Israel was specifically in Judah were bound in a covenant with God. But it's not the same for us today. Things have, things have moved on. The church is bound in a covenant with God, but we're called to be salt and light everywhere, to give glory to the name of God. And here's one of the names. He's the God of your salvation. How do you feel when you hear the word salvation? It's kind of like a baby. I've never been pregnant, of course. I'm a man. But it's almost like a baby that leaps in my womb because the name of Jesus means God saves. The name of Jesus means God saves. And so it's never a sin to be excited about Jesus. At the name of the God of your salvation. Is there any wonder that there's uh, judgment that came upon them? And so those nations cease to exist. We think, does that happen today? Well, people like me can say, absolutely. In fact, I was just looking at a map in the last few days, uh, trying to think about how to pray for uh, the Democratic Republic of Congo. To find in my map, it wasn't called that. It used to be called Zaire. And some of you may never know that, but it used to be called Zaire. That country uh, doesn't exist in the same way. It's changed its name. But also a nation like the USSR. Anybody remember the USSR? Used to fill 25% of the world's planet under that flag. What about nations like Yugoslavia? They don't exist anymore. And so these things happen. But coming back spiritually, the third name for us is the God of your salvation. Let's look to the God of our salvation. The fourth name is this, 17 verse 10. He says, I have not remembered the rock of your refuge. What a wonderful name that is, rock. 
It's not a tiny, tiny pebble or just a little rocky outcrop in, out, outcrop in Derbyshire. This is God Almighty who is likened to be a rock, a rock that cannot be shaken. God cannot be shaken. And furthermore, he's the rock of your refuge. What a great title as we worship God on this Sabbath evening. Psalm 5, it's found all the way through the scriptures, this, this kind of idea of God. Psalm 5, but let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may exult in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. I don't know what you're facing right now. I don't know what you're going to face this week. But be encouraged, O Christian. 17 verse 10. Let us not do what Israel did, that they have not remembered the rock of your refuge. Let's remind ourselves this evening, the God that we worship, who is invisible. We can't see God. He's invisible, but he's the rock of our refuge. Now, who was this important name to? King David. King David, maybe 200 plus years before Isaiah, it became one of David's favorite titles of his God. And so let us walk by faith and encouraging ourselves in the Lord with this name of God who is the rock of your refuge. In Deuteronomy 32, it's used five times of God being a rock. Psalm 27, verse 1. Some of you maybe love Psalm 27. What does it say there? The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Psalm 18, verse 2. David writes, under the inspiration of the Spirit, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer my god my rock in whom i take refuge he uses that name twice because experience had shown david that time and time and time and time again god had delivered him and shown and proved to him by experience that the lord was the rock of his refuge and we can say the same thing and fifthly for children taking notes the fifth name here we'll look at 18 and verse 7 is the name the lord of hosts the lord of hosts what does it say in 18 verse 7 towards the end at that time tribute will be brought to the lord of hosts from a people tall and smooth, and from a people feared near and far, a nation mighty and conquering, whose land the rivers divide, to Mount Zion, the place of the name of the Lord of hosts. What does the name of the Lord of hosts mean? You could translate it the Lord of armies. But what does that mean? It means the Lord who can do whatever he wants. The Lord who has the resources to do whatever he wants doesn't need to consult us. And so this name of God comes again, but, but furthermore, there's a sense of we're walking on holy ground as we think of this name. Why is that? 
Well, when Isaiah was transported in this vision, where God gave him this vision of the holiness of God in heaven, and, and he saw Christ, or the second person of the Trinity, the Lord, on the throne in heaven in this vision. And then he hears the seraphim. And what did, it, what did, he, what did he hear? He didn't see God, but he heard, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And so he heard this seraphim announcing this name of God. And therefore, as we think about this name, the Lord of hosts, this is something that God himself who has revealed about himself. Whatever you face this week, O Christian, know the Lord of hosts is with you. He'll never forsake you. He'll never leave you. He won't forget about you. He neither slumbers nor sleeps. He, when you're asleep, he's awake and he's looking over you. When your children are asleep and you're thinking, oh, I'm so thankful they're asleep. But God overlooks every single person and has tender care for his church. He has tender care for his Christians. And this name, the Lord of hosts, as we come to a close now, is given to us in, in the book of Revelation as well, chapter 4. And it says this, And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And there for Isaiah, we have the name the Lord of hosts. But here in the book of Revelation, we're told that name means the Lord God Almighty. And as we close this evening, our reminders of those five names that we can worship God. Because as we preach, it's actually to be an act of worship to preach. And preaching is to lead our hearts to worship God. These five names, let's not forget them as the people of old did. Let's remember them. The first one is the Lord our Maker. The Lord our Creator. The Lord our Maker. Number two, the God whom we worship is the Holy One of Israel. The Holy One of Israel. Thirdly, this God is revealed in this chapter to be the God of of your salvation and when he begins a work he completes it fourthly the god that we worship is the rock of your refuge the rock of your refuge and fifthly we worship tonight the lord of hosts amen